This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 81 of the Half Measures Podcast. Some people say that we are the TV guide of the internet, but we are your What to Watch Podcast and I'm joined once again by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how are you doing today? Kia ora Dan, I am good. Uh, yeah, and I saw that as well on our social media, an online TV guide. I, I, I'm, I, I quite like that description in some respects, if that's how people want to treat us. As long as they listen, I'm easy with that. I... I I'm. I enjoy it because it's kind of like everyone knows what the TV guide is, right? Mm. Everybody and like if people think of us as as a wholesome TV guide read, then I think that's that's pretty good. Yeah, the TV guide, you know, was was something that everyone had back in the day, right? These days, not so much. Uh, so if they can be replacing that with a with a half measures podcast, I'm all about such, that. It's such a crazy concept, isn't it? To think that you would sit there flicking through like a little newspaper type magazine. Oh, can't believe this is going to be on 7.30 Thursday night. Better, better record it. Like, what, what a wild time. I love, and especially around Christmas time, getting the one in advance, I would go through and I would put a pen mark around the things I wanted. And then if any of my family came along with pen, I'd highlight it so that it was clear to me what my shows were. And I had it all mapped out. From a young age, I knew what I would want to be watching. You were born for this role, Paul. You were born for Half Measures. In uh, Half Measures true tradition, what have you been watching? Well, uh, so two things uh, to talk about this week. And so first up, and this is something I've been waiting for since April last year. It is the return of La Casa de Papel. I probably butchered that completely. So let's just stick with calling it Money Heist. Um, this is season five. And so this is hot off the press. It's only just uh, dropped on Netflix this week, actually. So I will be 100% spoiler free. And to, and to be honest, the fans of the show are always about the, what's going to happen next? That's the sort of the, the vibe of the show. So I don't want to ruin it for anyone. And if you're not familiar with this show, I know we have, we've talked about it before, but this is a show that started with a group of um, robbers who they try and ca carry out this unprecedented robbery of like stealing billions from the Royal Mint of Spain. That was 2017. We've had four seasons and that's where the action picks up this season. And now it, we start where it finished last season with the gang stuck inside the Bank of Spain, got all the media watching and the professor, he's the main dude who leads this gang, for the first time ever in these uh, you know, four seasons, doesn't seem to have a, an escape plan for his gang. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's great to have this show back. It's been a show that I've enjoyed uh, over the last few years since it came out. Um, and season five, it's it's worth getting amongst, I tell you. So this is a, a part season. There's still another five more episodes to come out. Yep, good call, good call. So season 5A, if you like, so... That's what's dropped so far. And then the second half will drop in December. So we'll have five more episodes to look forward to just before Christmas. Um, I really enjoy that. I enjoy the we've actually filmed the whole season. It's been through post-production. You can have five now. Be good. A couple of months, you can have five more. Like it's a nice little short window. Yeah, I quite like the little break as well. And I, and I love good TV in the lead up to Christmas as well. This show, though, what I love about this show is 
it just has really well-defined colorful characters there's a um there's also a lot of tension and humor in the show and i mentioned those two things specifically because other than like uh like a line of duty where you've got the the undercover cop and the the organized crime and then you've got ted hastings humor there aren't many shows i can think of where you've got real stressful and real funny at the same time and so it's a real good mix and then of course with money heist you throw into the mix this the added element of a bank robbery and you and i have talked before how much we love heists so it's it's really is a great show it's interesting uh I'm a little bit out of date with Money Heist. I think I'm maybe up to around season three. Is it still kind of holding its own as a as a show? It is. I just realised. Obviously, I just told you exactly where we were up to at season four. So apologies for that, Dan. Um, it is. It's interesting because um, I think the appeal of the show is still there, but after four seasons, uh, I think the nature of the heist as the number of seasons have gone on has become more contrived or at least it's a lot more convoluted than it than it perhaps was at the start of the show if you know what i mean yeah definitely because i think in those really early seasons what was really great about um money heist is being stuck in these like unsolvable situations and then having the professor kind of lay it all out like and he's kind of solved it and working backwards and he's thought of everything and I have always wondered, actually, can that be maintained through? And it's kind of like it's cool to hear that actually maybe the professor's run out of, um, or he hasn't been able to do as much planning as he normally would, or he's run out of all the big ideas to to get the crew out of this. Exactly. And so that's what the appeal of this this final season is. And I kind of like the fact that it's uh, a final season because 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 we know it's the last one, there's, there's no guarantee who's going to make it out alive as well. So then it have to think about season six so all of the characters are fair game you know it's like open season like it's like season one of the walking dead or the sopranos you don't know who's going to make it or not and of course because we've had these four seasons now the actual heart of this show for me is these really complex relationships that you've got between the the robbers so it's not like your standard bank robbery where people take the money and they don't want to see each other ever again these people were invested in each other's lives so it's a really really rich story and um yeah it's i actually just going back to the point around um non-spoilers i actually read some trivia that the episodes are shot in order and the actors only receive the scripts for each episode as they're shooting um so they so that they also don't know what each of their characters fates will be and so the guy who plays the uh, professor um alvaro morte said that the actors would be messaging each other with excitement each time they received a new script. And, you know, I think it's that sort of excitement factor that the the hardcore fans of, of Money Heist are there for. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the, the final five episodes for sure. You're, you're really selling it to me, Paul. And I think it, it actually feels like a show I could probably almost go back and start from the beginning because it is so much fun and kind of like see it, see it through all the way to the end of season five. Yeah, definitely. And it's my favorite show that's entirely in Spanish as well. It's right up there with like Narcos for me. It's a full, I want the full experience and so no subtitles. Uh, sorry, 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 no, what do you call it? Dubbing. It's the subtitles that I want. And although you do have to read pretty quick because some of the dialogue is at a frenetic pace. But um, but yeah, that is um, La Casa de Papel, uh, Money Heist on Netflix. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about this week and this is a bit of an oldie, well, a bit, 
but 100% still checks out. And that is the 2009 movie Avatar. So this is a movie I have not seen in many years, uh, but you know, Avatar 2 is coming out next year. And so I thought, you know, 13 years after this first movie came out, why not? Um, so this is, again, if you're one of the few people in the world who hasn't seen it, uh, a, a paraplegic Marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. Dan, I cannot believe this movie is, is 12 years old this year. It looks immaculate. It's it's a testament to to James Cameron uh but and also the story. I mean, as a writer director, he is a genius. This was a great rewatch. It's been a long time since I've seen Avatar, uh, and to be honest, it's one of those movies. Like I really enjoyed it when I first watched it, but I feel like it's so hyped all the time. Even the thought of rewatching it is, I, I'm kind of dubious about it. Like, am I still going to have a good time? Is the story still good? We know that like Avatar Two's had lots of. Uh, kind of issues attached to it in terms of like, you know, I think James Cameron wanted to make these a lot sooner than he has, but he just needs to wait for technology to catch up. There's obviously like, uh, it's definitely going to require a rewatch before the second movie, um, but good to hear that it's still holding up. Yeah, no, oh, look, 100%. It's interesting because uh, I will say, if I'm you know coming on a bit of a negative side, I will say it was probably about 30 minutes too long, I felt, on a rewatch. And you know, this is closing in on three hours and I, you know, you and I both love an extended edition. So like, you know, we, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Snyder cut of Justice League, um, the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 is the, the best example I can think of. But I swear, um, <laughs> I feel the opposite about this. I feel like it needs a shortened cut because the first third is one of the greatest first thirds of any movie ever. It, it really draws you in. It's so unique that's how good it is and the final third is is totally gripping and really satisfying in terms of the the big fight scene but somewhere in the middle it dips for a good 30 minutes and i can feel myself like you know reaching for your phone or thinking oh what snacks can i grab from the kitchen and that's that's something which for me i hate to say about a movie that was well is as as graham baker as as avatar is yeah it's interesting there like i as soon as you say they're reaching for the phone, like I, I would associate if I wanted to watch a movie and do some stuff on my phone, like Avatar would probably fit that category for me because I know there's a lot, like three hours is a lot, but it's not a lot when you're talking about, you know, extended versions of Lord of the Rings or whatever, whatever it may be. So interesting that it looks like it could do with a pork and hour cut. Indeed, indeed. Um, also, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Sam Worthington and Terminator Salvation. I think he's really good in this movie. I, I can't believe, other than that Terminator movie, I, I feel like I just haven't seen him in anything else because he's the lead in what is, you know, one of the biggest movies of all time. It's still, despite challenges from, you know, Jurassic World and Avengers, and that, it still holds the box office record worldwide all time. And he, alongside uh, uh, Zoe Zel, uh, Saldana, they've got really great chemistry. And I just feel like, he he came out of nowhere. His accent slips into Australian every now and then. It's quite funny when you're sort of just listening to it. Um, you can hear it come through. But uh, I thought he was really good in this movie. And so it'd be interesting to see how he goes in the next one. I think you're right. Like, it's interesting just looking at his IMDb profile page. Like, obviously, Avatar is like a huge role to land. And he's obviously been in a few things here and there 
uh, over the last sort of several years, but nothing as big as Avatar, right? Like nothing that kind of like jumps out on his CV. No, nothing at all, right? Um, what else was I going to say about this movie? Um, I think, yeah, I think what it is for me, it's um, it's one of those where I come out of watching it and I feel like I've not seen anything else like it. And that is what James Cameron does, um, you know, so well. He did it with Terminator 2. Um, he did it, you know, I came out of the cinema from that just thinking, oh, I haven't seen anything like that before. And I feel like that's what it is. It's, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a love story, but it's really, it's just, it's just so groundbreaking in that respect. And James Cameron, other than writing and producing, um, Elita Battle Angel that we reviewed a while ago and, and producing Dark Fate, he's, he's not been doing much other than, you know, these Avatar movies for the last 12 years and writing and preparing four sequels. Um, we've got two coming out next year. Three's already finished. Um, you know, it's in post-production four and five are filming in New Zealand. And he, he recently shared a, a social media post with a collage celebrating, you know, and thanking people in New Zealand that he's worked with. And so I love the idea of James Cameron just tinkering away in the background, how you put it before um, waiting for technology to catch up because, you know, he did Titanic um, and then, you know, he didn't really do much until this. And so I'd love the idea of a quiet James Cameron just working away in the background because you just know that he's perfecting those those movies, those experiences for the audience. And it's 100% going to be a, a, a movie, you know, a cinema visit for Avatar 2. Definitely. Oh, that's very, very cool. So anything else on your list this week, Paul? No, just the things we've been watching together. So Dan, may I ask, what have you been watching this week? Well, I have been watching a, a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I've watched is uh, a new movie that's just come out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's on the star part of Disney+, Plus, or it's on Hulu in other parts of the world, called Vacation Friends. Now, this is a movie that I kind of took a bit of a, uh, a wild chance on. It's a... Look, I, I didn't go into it with high expectations and I didn't necessarily leave with, um, you know, a great story, but, but I had an okay time. There was definitely an element of looking at your phone throughout this movie. So the basic premise here is it's a, a couple meets up with another couple while on vacation in Mexico, but their friendship takes a really awkward turn. And so basically, the reason it's so awkward is you've got this one couple that's like super planned, super organized got everything booked, activities planned, run by the book, just there for like a, I guess, a, a very normal holiday. You've then got this other couple who are just living their best life completely sort of at, at extremes, doing anything available to them, cause, causing mischief, getting up to trouble. And through a sort of series of events that this couple ends up kind of hanging out, they have a collectively end up having a, a really great time kind of learning off each other and learning to chill out, learning to be a bit more serious. And then uh, several months after the holiday, they reconnect again. And there's a whole bunch of sort of comedy kind of drama that happens in there. Look, this is a movie that stars um, John Cena. And look, you know, we love John Cena, you know, in Fast and the Furious. We love him as a WWE wrestler. We Like he can be quite good. But this movie, and it, it's... Like, it's just okay. Like, I put it on because I thought, you know what, I might get some laughs. And I did get a couple. Um, but it's not something that's going to change your life. It, it's definitely not going to get four four guns akimbo. This is probably a, a two, two and a half guns. 
But you could do worse on a on a Sunday afternoon if it's raining. You're sitting on the couch. You're completely lost. You've watched everything else available. It, it, you know, it's not going to be too bad for you. I feel like when you see John Cena in the poster, you you kind of know what you're getting straight away. And I always actually I always think of like um, the the Daddy's Home movie or um, was it the last Transformers movie he was in? I think the yeah Bumblebee. I. I kind of think of that, and I just, again, I just think of it as Saturday night popcorn fun. Um, so this one has a poster feel that has that about it completely. And, and that's the thing with these movies; like, I often feel like I need to give them a go for society's sake because you never know when you're going to come across a real gem. Like, you never know when it's going to be the next Step Brothers, Anchorman, you know, uh, Zoolander. You know, like you never know; like it could just be gold. Um, this one, look, look, it's okay. It's um, it's pretty harmless in the scheme of things. Um, it, look, popcorn movie is probably the, the best summary for this one. You can check out uh, Vacation Friends on Disney Plus here in New Zealand. Beautiful. The next thing I've been watching was a, a recommendation to me actually, a TV series on Netflix called Hit and Run. So this is a series that came out in came out this year actually, and it's basically about a a guy who's, who's happily married and his life's turned upside down when his wife is killed in a mysterious uh, hit and run accident in Tel Aviv. And this is one of those shows that, so it's it's kind of split between America and Tel Aviv. And so there's you know, 50, 50 sort of subtitles English, um, but it tells a really sort of um, a story that's kind of just, you know, it's such a web of lies that all these characters have kind of been living. There's a whole bunch of mystery around why this hit and run happened. You get to learn about all these different characters and who are not who they, you know, uh, portrayed to be. This is a, a fun watch on Netflix. It's about nine episodes long. Um, it looks like we might be getting a season two. It's got a, it's got a pretty good cast. And to be honest with you, it's what I enjoyed most about this and it's kind of hard to talk about without sort of really giving away too many spoilers, is it was nice to watch a, a TV show that wasn't, um, it was just like a little bit different, like not Spanish, not um, not uh, often, not sort of uh, Middle Eastern sort of, it was just a real different vibe. And look, this is a, a good murder mystery, uh, good crime drama, if you're in for something, you know, 90 episodes, relatively easy watch. I'm going to leave it there because there's, you don't want to know anything about the show. The less you know, the better. There's very little I know about this other than what you told me. I don't know the the directors, the creators. I recognize none of the stars. But the plot has got me hooked in um, straight away. Anything that involves that sort of crime drama, as you know, is always my thing, murder mystery. Um, but yeah, having it set in, in this location makes it very much different. So that's the appeal for me. Yeah, definitely. So uh, one of the main uh, actors in this, uh, Leo Rez, he's in another uh, pop, quite popular show on Netflix called Fiorda, uh, which where he basically plays a, a Mossad sort of agent uh, and sort of a retired counterintelligence. Um, and it's, it's kind of, like it's got all of those elements in there. So if things like espionage, spies. Uh, intelligence agencies appeal to you, then Hit and Run is a, is a good little watch for you to check out. Awesome. Nice spot. 
And then one final thing that I've been watching, apart from our shared watches, now a little bit inspired by you, Paul, having, you know, you've gone back, you've watched the Terminator franchise, we are going back and we are watching all of the Marvel movies, but we are watching them in official timeline order. So this is a a real different experience. So Normally, if you're going to start watching the, the Marvel movies, the, the, there's a very different order. Like You'd probably start with Iron Man 1. Um, we're actually starting with Captain America, which was in 2011. Then the next one we'll be watching, uh, next week's podcast will be Captain Marvel, which actually jumps up to 2019. So we're kind of bouncing back and forth from a technology point of view. But there's quite a few Marvel movies coming out. So there's obviously... Um, uh, Spider-Man, there's uh, Shang-Chi, um, there's uh, a few of the other sort of TV series um, emerging from Marvel. So we thought, you know what, let's go back, let's watch these movies in it. a real different order. And so the one that we've watched first is Captain America, the first Avenger. So this is obviously the the origin story of Captain America. And you know, as I say, this is a movie that came out in 2011, but Honestly, Paul, I was kind of like, ah, oh, do I want to watch all 25 of these movies? <laughs> and that's a lot, right? And not to mention, you know, you can add on to that the, the TV shows like WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, Loki. But it, we had a lot of fun. This this was a, a fantastic watch. They're all available on Disney+. Plus. Um, so, look, we're, we're real early in this journey, but we thought we might just start chipping away at them. Like when we're looking for a movie to watch, let's get into this Marvel timeline. Let's refresh ourselves. Let's be fighting fit for when these new movies come out this that is great i love this journey i mean doing it with the the terminator movies is one thing but this is a whole different beast i'm a bit of a noob as you know when it comes to the marvel cinematic universe uh, but i have seen the, the the first avenger and i really enjoyed it as well i thought it was really i, I loved that transformation of becoming captain america uh, i had no idea that this would be the first movie I obviously knew because of where it took place in the war, but I thought across 25 movies, maybe something might've happened before that. So I've learned something today and Hey, 25 movies over the course of a few podcasts. I feel like this is a real opportunity to sell me, to bring me back in just like I keep trying to bring you back in to your Star Trek, the next generation journey. So uh, we'll, we'll chip away at yeah. that. Look, who knows? Who knows where this will go? And look, we've we've done this journey uh, not in this order before. We've done it in a release order previously. Oh, yeah. um, and so um, um, it's, it's kind of fun just watching it uh, play out from a, a timeline order because obviously the first Avenger, this is, this is set during World War II. Mm. And then the next movie we're jumping into with Captain Marvel is obviously set in the 80s. Uh, and then we go into Iron Man. So it's going to be a real fun adventure. And watching them in a different way feels like a whole new experience. I love that. And I love the fact that this isn't the first rewatch. I mean, this is a real commitment. These these movies, see, that in itself is starting to sell it to me because you've obviously seen it in the cinema and now you've done a cinematic rewatch and now this is an, a, a universe order watch so that's great yeah that's right yeah and so you know this is probably what the fourth fifth time i've seen these movies so look they're they're not they're not all smash out of the heart out of the park hits but a lot of them if you look on imdb particularly some of the, the later movies they've got pretty high ratings they're up there in the 80s the 90s um and and we did want to sort of make sure that we were as i say ready for uh spider-man ready for um shang shang chi so tell me dan is there a name to the order 
that you're watching? I mean, or is there a different ways? Because you know, with the Star Wars movies, you've got like the cinematic release, you've got the universe, and then you've got like the machete order, and there's all these different types. Is, is there this sort of similar thing with Marvel? I, I think they just call it the timeline order because we're we're literally following the the, the, the timeline of the, when these events actually happened, as opposed to the the jumping back and forth that the um, release order plays the movies in. Brilliant. And Paul, so that's the three things that I've been watching. Uh, Shall we move on over to the final two episodes of Rick and Morty, which just came out this week? Indeed. So, yeah, this is season five, episodes nine and ten. Forgetting Sadek Mortchow, Rick gets new sidekicks while Morty makes a new friend. And then the season finale, um, Rick Mariah Jack, Rick is living his best anime life, uh, making new friends and taking down new enemies. Uh, Dan, I don't know why we had to wait for just these two. We talked about uh, Money High splitting it, you know, five and five. I don't know what the logic was making us wait here, but wait, we did. Um, I thought both were very funny, but what about you? Yeah, I thought these were great episodes. I thought the the first episode, episode nine, uh, gave us a really sort of Morty-focused episode. And I think what was really cool about that is often, you know, Rick is the real star of Rick and Morty. And it's great when uh, I think Morty gets to kind of, he can be just as funny, just as dark and just as humorous as Rick. And I loved it. I'll jump into the spoilers here if you haven't seen it. But, you know, Morty getting the portal in his hand and the way that they were kind of using like weapons to their fights, it was a really sort of fun, unique story. Um and then obviously with the the second episode, again, like, you know, seeing seeing the continuation of episode nine, like these are kind of a, a part one and part two story, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, as, you know, Rick's taken on ravens instead of using Morty and he's becoming a full raven lord. And then that was a lot of fun as well. I thought that in that first one, episode nine, the bit where I thought it was the funniest was when Rick's like, okay, if you're leaving me, Morty, that doesn't matter to me because I'm prepared for this moment and I'll literally take anyone because, except for you, you're totally expendable to me. And he brings down like a wheel of fortune where it's got Rick's face on it with either side he's giving it the birdie and you know he just flings it around and it just randomly lands on two crows. And at the time, my instinct, I don't know about you, was just like, oh, it could have been anything. It doesn't matter. That's just a side story. But no, the crows become the entire story. It's amazing. Yeah, and then I think this is where I think in the the final episode this really sort of pays homage to a lot of the other Rick and Morty storylines uh, which have been playing out over the last five seasons, particularly with the Citadel of Ricks, uh, getting to see Evil Morty again, uh, potentially yeah. changing the uh, the Rick and Morty universe. But I say that kind of uh, tentatively because so much wild and crazy stuff happens in Rick and Morty that you don't ever really know if anything's changed or they'll just kind of, you know, adapt and tweak that with a um, a bit of clever writing. Because I think one thing I've really enjoyed with this season of Rick and Morty is I've quite enjoyed how it's been kind of monster of the week, different sort of episodic type content. And it's it's been, I think it's given them so much liability, like so much... Uh, uh, space and ability to have fun with those characters and tell some wild storylines and it not really matter to their, the overall Rick and Morty universe, if, the, if that's something that we even care about. I'm sure there's people out there that care about the you know, the official timeline and what's happening in that space. No, I, I'm with you. I prefer it like that. I, I'm the sort of person that I will just watch random episodes and I don't want it to be uh, serial. I want it to be episodic so I can just enjoy a, a, a capsulated episode and this would be another great one. This is a show where 
you know how when you're watching something on Netflix, it gives you the option to skip credits. This is a show where I never skip because there's always something that changes in the opening credits. It may be subtle, but sometimes it can be more more, more deliberate. And this, you know, the, again, spoilers, but the final episode, you did not want to be skipping through the the Rick and Morty, or should I say the Rick and Two Crows introduction to the new show, because that was something uh, pretty special. And I loved the the character, that the, the persona he becomes with the essentially like the dark knight type costume and he just becomes all powerful and some of the the music and the scenes in that are very reminiscent of those christopher nolan type uh genre movies i think this is one of those uh you know kind of a, a smart and clever thing right like we've had a bit of a, a rick and morty hiatus and then for a, a month or so we come back in with two really strong episodes and it kind of re reignites the passion for Rick and Morty. And I wondered whether, like, would we feel the same way if we were just kind of going week by week again with the show? But like, the break kind of fuels it, right? Yeah, it did. I think you're right. Although I did, they're, they're both great episodes. But one thing, and this is my own fault, one thing I did feel I was left disappointed as I had seen, I don't know about you, so I won't say what it is in case you haven't seen it, but there's been a few Rick and Morty clips doing the rounds on Instagram and Twitter and I'd seen it and I just naively presumed that they were scenes from the season five finale. So the whole time I'm sitting there rubbing my hands going, oh, I can't wait to see this, insert this thing that I've seen. And I'm guessing they're actually from season six. And so you're talking about the the live action. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So I was yeah. expecting that to happen. I was expecting to see Christopher Lloyd show up as Rick and I was just like, I cannot wait for this. I really thought we were going to get that too, particularly when at the start of episode 10, we kind of flick into more of an anime type vibe. I'm like, oh, great. We're going to jump around different styles of animation, different different ways of storytelling. And even if it is only the uh, 15, 30 seconds that you might get of live action, that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, indeed. And just to jump into that very briefly, Dan, I don't know if you know how I always say don't read the comments. Well, I, I got drawn into some of the comments on those clips and there was a lot of criticism saying, oh, Christopher Lloyd's too old to play Rick. He hasn't got the right voice. And I wonder if a lot of people don't actually realize how much inspiration came from Back to the Future with Christopher Lloyd's character and even Morty as as Maddie. I don't know if people were making that connection because as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is, this is the sort of thing that you just dream of happening and never would, and here we are. Look, and I literally couldn't think of any other actor to play Rick. Exactly. So, Perfect. Yeah, the internet. You know, always got an opinion. Correct. Stay away from the internet. Stick with your podcast. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, check out the latest episodes of Rick and Morty, the final two episodes of season five on Netflix. Shall we head on over to another um, fan favorite topic on the show, Paul? The Walking Dead. We should indeed. As always, uh, if you're not a fan of Rick and Morty or The Walking Dead, or I think you can use the timings in our show notes to move ahead to the next section. And as always, listener discretion is advised uh, with The Walking Dead reviews. This is perhaps the section where uh, being triggered is powerful of the course, where emotions can run high, where many sentences will start with the words, don't even get me started on that. We are up to season 11, episode three. Uh, so the synopsis for this one, Maggie's mission team gets separated and hunted by the Reapers. Carol, Rosita, Magna and Kelly attempt to catch horses for Alexandria and Judith, RJ, Herschel and Grace cope with their parents going away. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Whiting. Can I use the time code to skip ahead? Because uh, 
No. Uh, look, uh, look, this was a okay episode. Look, I think the problem is, look, here's where I'm, I'm already starting. I'm already starting off on some negatives. I feel like Walking Dead just doesn't know how to tell a good story anymore. And so um, Samara was sitting next to me while I was watching this episode, and she's not up to date with The Walking Dead at all. Like, she's she's tuned out years ago. And she's like, God, these episodes are boring, aren't they? And <laughs> it's funny because, on like, in general, like, this is still a good episode compared to some episodes that we've had in the past. I think the challenge that Walking Dead has is I – we haven't had any setup for the for the big bad um, of the actually they're probably a mini bad to be honest. These people that are chasing um, Maggie and Negan and the crew, like I don't really know who they are. I don't really have any fear of them. They're just more people were in mass. The fact that it kind of started as a bit of an ambush and then a bit of a chase and then you know Maggie's getting knives thrown at her. They try to introduce these sub characters um, who you know are gonna like someone's gonna die. It's gonna be those sub characters. So. And I, I feel like, but they've been down this path so many times. And then instead of our um, slightly more interesting story of seeing what's happening with Eugene and the King, we're getting the, the horse whisperer story with Carol and friends as they try to bring horses back to town um, for Carol to butcher. And so, look, I've said it once. I've said it again. I I don't like Maggie's attitude um, on, the, on The Walking Dead. I, I, I appreciate that, like, Negan killed her husband. but. I'm just I'm I'm tired of the fight. Like, you know, get on board with the ever with the with the watchers. Team Negan. Wow. I always think one day we'll get, you know, Frank Darabont or someone else in here. I feel like I don't know, uh, like Anakin in Star Wars is the, the chosen one to bring balance to the force. I'm gonna start off with a positive here. I thought um the opening sequence i thought was was pretty good i thought it was superb i thought it really hit the ground running i thought it was fast it was brutal we had these you know our our big characters getting cut and shot and taking hits and and these reapers are moving at a terrifying pace they're moving at what appeared to be an inhuman speed uh with a mask on i imagine that must be quite hard then well, look, everyone knows what it's like to wear a mask these days. Like, you know, even just wearing a, a mask during the, the pandemic's a nightmare on the train, let alone wearing a full kind of hockey mask. And look, I, I'll give you that. I thought the opening credits, opening opening scenes in this were actually really good. They, they did a really good job of creating the intensity. And then it kind of it, it petered out a bit. But, yeah, it was, it was a great start. And I appreciated how these Reapers all kind of had like quite brutal kind of like pickaxe type weapons and yeah. it all seemed very aggressive as opposed to the the normal spear and sword and axe that people might have yeah and look on your point around maggie i i feel like that negan maggie story is edging towards completion i feel like um because I, I made a comment last week i was i didn't have the energy for it i quite like the back and forth that they had i like the fact that negan put the ball in her court when she was trying to serve him up some tough questions and it was quite an image seeing Negan carrying Maggie away, um, and then and then of course them both having to go do battle together on their quests as they left. Um, what's his name? Alden. Uh, what Alden, Alden behind? Um, there was very little Daryl in this one, um, but there was a fair bit of Carol who was annoying as the horse whisperer. Um, what I want to know is where is the Carol? that we used to love gone the, the one that would kill other characters including kids the one that would bake 
bake those cookies and save everyone from the governor. The mind boggles as to what the spin-off series of Daryl and Carol will do, what the what rating certification we might need for this podcast when we start reviewing this series. I think Carol's going to need to take me out to the flower garden um, if we start reviewing those episodes, but I don't know if it's... I just don't know. I don't know if it can be done. Surely that's just a, a pipe dream on somebody's wish list I would, of a show. I'd love to be a fly on the wall to see how Samara does put up with sitting on the couch next to you when you're watching The Walking Dead, because I'm just getting the, the review and you've had at least at least 24 hours uh, to sort of calm down. But um, yeah. I think this is the thing with like Carol, right? Like, And, you know, you I am a, a Carol fan of a certain type of like when Carol is saving the group when she's in full survival mode when she's um, on top of her game and obviously like they need to show characters kind of the ebbs and flows and the the stresses of um, what it's like to live in in the society but I feel like with like Carol is always on a roller coaster and mm. you never quite know what version of Carol you're going to get which is a shame and I think it's it's not even it's not down to um, Melissa McBride as the actress. I, no. I just think they, they don't know what to do with her as a character. And I think, you know, I'm always moaning about this that there's too many main characters. And I think last night, last night when I watched it was a, was a good reminder to me of they've got, you know, even going out to do the horse scene, there's four kind of main characters there who they kind of just have to force together to go bring in some horses because we're probably contractually obligated to give them some scenes, but we don't really know what we're doing with them yet. It's going to be a while till we actually connect up Maggie and Negan back with the group, and then we've got to go and deal with the actual um, Commonwealth, and that's when it probably will all start to come together. But it really made me actually appreciate the um, the um, alphas and the beta type characters because you know we got you know we had the same thing where it's kind of like frustrating at first but actually you get a real appreciation for those bad guys and what they're trying to achieve and I think what's often hard is when they introduce a new a new big bad is like how big of a land span are we talking about that none of these groups yes. have kind of run into each other before it's it's incredible and um how do they all take on the same mantra and uh, and vision? How, yeah, that's a really really good point. And I wanted to go back to a, another point you made about Melissa McBride, and I feel like you're absolutely right. We're, the criticism is, is not labelled at her, and I feel like I could preface many of my um, reviews of anything on this podcast with it's always aimed at the writers. And when I was talking before about Money Heist and how the the actors, when they get the script, are so excited that they're texting each other. Can you imagine the text messages that might be going down between Melissa McBride and, and Norman Reedus and co when they get the scripts for some of these episodes? I imagine the excitement level isn't quite the same. Yeah, yeah. Look, and I, I think, again, this if you're a new listener to the podcast, my frustration here is that this was a great TV show back in the day. Like, this was up there. This was like Game of Thrones um, quality in some of those earlier seasons. And it's just rolling down. And I just, I'm kind of glad they're finishing it, but I'm also kind of like sad and frustrated because I, I feel like there's so much more that they could do. And I kind of wish with some of our offshoots, like obviously Fear the Walking Dead or World Beyond, that rather than trying to connect up to this universe, actually let them flourish on their own and become their own thing that's not actually connected into the same, same storyline. Someone I, um, 
I just when you said about if you're new to this podcast, someone I, I work with actually said to me just this week, oh, I discovered your podcast and I'm the same as you. I love Picard and I love The Mandalorian, but I haven't seen The Walking Dead and I'm thinking I should watch The Walking Dead. And I'm thinking, is that the message we're sending out here? Because <laughs> it should really come with a bit of a, a little bit of a, a caveat. But um, the other point I wanted to make about this episode was I love the idea of the kids all sitting down at the table talking together. I love that idea in principle. But again, if you listen to the dialogue that is clearly what a much older person, basically an adult, would be saying to each other. Those children would not be coming out with those things. And when you think about shows that we love, like Stranger Things or um, or Cobra Kai, and again, okay, maybe they're slightly older, those kids, but it, the, what makes it work is that the writing works for those it's age appropriate. But these kids were talking far too articulate for their age, and I... I I don't know, maybe that's unfair, but I just felt like they needed to, to to dial it back a bit. It was a little bit too on the nose for me. It's funny, isn't it? Because again, like I like Judith as a character is really awesome, right? This young girl, she's like taken on a little bit of Michonne, a little bit of Rick, um, a little bit of Carl, and she kind of embodies all of those characters. And she's young, but she's mature and she's got um she knows how to fight, she knows how to survive, she knows how to hold her ground. And then you kind of mix that in with um young uh, young Glenn or Herschel, is it? Herschel, I'm sorry, yep. Herschel. Um, like imagine, you know, if those two actually somehow got kind of like out outside of the walls and had to sort of have a bit of a survival feast. Like that would kind of be interesting, right? But I feel so sorry for the uh, for the actress who's playing Judith because she's come from doing these really awesome kind of. Um, kind of kick-ass scenes in some of the previous seasons to now you're you're trying food that you don't like and kind of having these as you say not quite right conversations it's it, it feels like such a waste it is and this you've said it before there's too many characters they need to whittle that down and give some some meaty parts to some of the key characters um lately i feel like eugene's impressed me i feel like um gabriel i felt like he was good again i liked his attitude he's becoming more and more badass but um i don't know the group's too big it's time for alden to go it's time for aaron to go there's a whole bunch of people that i think if we were to spin the wheel for final season who's going to make it who's not i reckon i reckon start cutting them out now and let's let's get our group down to a core group yeah in fact let's, let's end how we started a real tight group you know look let's Let's spin the, the the Rick and Morty wheel. Let's get some crows in here. Correct. And let's have some fun. That's this week's The Walking Dead. It's available here in New Zealand on TVNZ On Demand. And tune in next week when Dan puts the microphone through the window. <laughs> you just never know, Paul. Shall we go into our movie of the week? Indeed. So each week, Dan and I will take it in turns to choose a movie to review. We post that movie in our Discord channel. You can join that community uh, by clicking on the link in the show notes and then see a week in advance what we're going to be watching and then you can watch along and listen to the review and this week then we went with let him go so this is a, a 2020 movie uh, about a retired sheriff and his wife grieving over the death of their son and they set out to find their only grandson dan so what kind of uh, immediately appealed to this mo- um, about this movie to me is number one, Kevin Costner. Um, number two, Diane Lane. Number three, it's a bit of a Western type of vibe. And I think this movie is fascinating 
and it kind of stuck with me for quite a while. And so what's really interesting about this movie, so it's kind of set in the 50s, I believe, and what's kind of just sort of interesting about it is I feel like Kevin Costner has done a lot of a lot of TV shows, movies, content of late where he's kind of a sheriff, cowboy, Montana type type guy and have more of that um, I sort of thought, oh, it's just getting a bit fatigued, but I actually think they've they've taken um, a kind of a you know a, a fairly simple story here and given it a really sort of western vibe. Like you know, it's it's like, the reason I say western is it's kind of like it's slow paced. Mm. It's lots of character building. It's lots of kind of understanding the characters and their intentions and all of this like journey you go on is for, you know, 20 minutes of sort of intense action um, to kind of like wrap up the story. And, you know, watching this, I was like, oh, is this going to be, is this going to be good? Is it, uh, is it going to end the way that I want it? But this movie, Paul, for me, was a hell of a ride and I loved every moment of it. Yeah, look, I, I agree. That's my my first, first thing to say. I, I, I felt the same way. I went into it thinking, uh it'll probably be okay the the poster gave off a very tame almost when i look at it it's like a run-of-the-mill middle of the road type feel was when i looked at it but it was the two leads as you said i guess what i'm saying is i probably wouldn't be pressing play on this movie if it wasn't for these two leads and what was interesting was as, as this movie played out i found two things distracted me a little bit and one was what you touched on was kevin costner with with the hat on, with that country feel, after seeing him in Yellowstone, sort of very close to that, minus John Dutton's arrogance, if you like. And of course, the second thing, which I couldn't get past, but it was, you know, it is what it is, was was Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as as Martha and Jonathan Kent, as the, you know, the DC Universe step-parents of, of, of Clark Kent. So, I mean, the casting director knew what they were doing when they put these two together. They worked together really well. I thought it was superb. I love the setting. Um, I love the era. I think, it, I think it was actually early 60s. I think I remember seeing where it said it was 1961 or something like that. But um, the cars, the fashion, the kitchens, even the flask of coffee they were drinking in the car, I loved all of that. I thought it was a very well, as you said, paced movie. Um, I just love the idea of how without the internet, without cell phones or computers or anything like that, how you go about looking for someone in wide open spaces back in the day would be very different to how it was today. I thought that was really effective. And um, yeah, the way it built up to that final scene, I thought the the family, the, the wee boys, I thought they were terrifying and just uh, uh, they were in this horrible... Kobayashi Maru, no win situation. Like, what are you going to do? This this family, you cannot beat them. What are you going to do? And in the end, we found out what a great finish. Yeah, and it's kind of it's we're talking del- delicately about this one because you want the payoff in this movie, and you mm. don't want us to ruin it if mm. you haven't seen it. And and I would imagine not a lot of people have probably seen this one. Um, without probably a recommendation but I think if you do kind of like the the crime drama sort of thriller vibe but I think it, it is that slow pace that makes this good and you know just the 
there's something about the way that uh, Diane Lane's character is kind of like headstrong in a 50s, 60s type way, which is still kind of, you know, comes with a whole bunch of prejudices and uh, challenges around that. Then, you know, Kevin Costner's character is a retired sheriff, kind of not looking for any trouble in his life, just looking to kind of uh, do right um, do the right thing and get by and just kind of the way they balance off each other and rift off each other is, is really fun and even once they kind of leave home and as you say go on this adventure you know the the 1960s is such a different world uh, from what we think about today and even the way that kind of I guess justice is, is dealt out is is so different like there is no cell phones there is no kind of just ringing the police like you know it's kind of in, in a western cowboy type way it's dealt with yeah. in situ and that that's that's just kind of the way it is that is exactly right that's a really good summary and you're right about that the way they were riffing each other uh the, the balance that they were with each other just so natural that i mean that's why they've been cast together it's just such a great feel diane lane's character as you said being so headstrong and, and kevin costner with almost like a passive wanting to support his 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 wife through anything and whether he thought that was good for her or not um very you know a very tense sort of finale for this type of movie there was nothing else i would have wanted or expected for me it's like a i think it's like a real rainy sunday afternoon the rain's hitting the window you're on the couch in front of the fire it's the perfect setting for this movie and um i'll tell you something else as well lately i've started noticing actors and actresses that have the ability to to say everything without saying a single word and kevin costner can do so much without saying anything so so when when diane lane's at the table and you can see as she's desperately talking his mind working and i cannot just describe how good he is at just clenching his jaw it sounds real simple and i don't know if it makes any sense on a podcast but i feel like with the lines on his face and the way he moves his eyes he says a thousand things and it's a real great quality i love it I think that's a really good shout. I remember thinking that the same thing myself when, you know, they're having a, a husband and wife chat completely in silence that's all through facial motions. And it, to portray that as an actor is such a, a, a talent, isn't it? And I think it was just, it was so well done. The other thing on this movie, which I thought was interesting is um, one of the, one of the wee boys was actually Jeffrey Donovan, who we saw in last week's uh, peak performance movie. So it was kind of great to see him from, you know, good guy last week and then uh, a bad guy in this movie. Yeah, no, good call. The, the support cast were strong as well. That's Everything works out. I'm really surprised to look at this then and see it getting relatively low ratings from critics. It's got a 63 meta score. It's got a 6.7 from IMDb. For me, it's one of those movies that for what it is, I cannot say I would have wanted anything more or changed anything. It's just under two hours. It's the perfect length. I'm all about it. Yeah, look, I, I'm going to go ahead and give this all the guns only because I it really took me by surprise. I enjoyed it so much more than I ever imagined I would. And it was a movie that just left me really kind of thinking about the situation, thinking about the characters. And and I think, you know, to Kevin Costner's credit, even though this is a familiar territory for him, I think he was able to do something different in this space. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Shout out to Leslie Manville. I'm just looking at uh, her CV. I have seen very little that she's been in. 
but she was absolutely terrifying as Blanche Weeboy. She was superb. Um, so yeah, definitely give this one a go. If you're in New Zealand, it's available to watch on Neon. Awesome. Shall I take us on over to the news desk, Paul? Yes, please, Dan. What have we got this week? All right. So by the time that you are listening to this podcast, you probably should be aware of, or if you're not, you might want to go and check out the first full trailer for The Matrix Resurrections, which is launching on Thursday. So the podcast comes out on Friday. It's already old news. Amazing. Get around it. Amazing. I didn't know that. I'm learning on the fly again. That's why the news is here, Paul. Um, a bit of a, a sad passing of Michael K. Williams. Um, some of you may remember him from The Wire or Lovecraft Country. Incredible uh, actor. Um, yeah. Gone too soon. Fifty-four years old. Um, so sad. Yeah. Boardwalk Empire. He, he's got a. He's had a fantastic um, career. Shame to um, have lost them so soon. Paul, if I was to ask you, how many? Uh, how much money do you think the Jackass crew have racked up in injuries over their careers? In injuries? Give me a, give me a ballpark figure. Oh, I'm going to make a fool of myself because I don't know what you uh, – but given what those guys do, I would say $5 million. $24 million in uh, injuries over the course of their careers. <laughs> Outrageous. Um Nothing more to be said about that. It, it's crazy stuff. Uh, we've also got the new trailer for Amazon's Wheel of Time series um, with its upcoming November release, which is pretty exciting. Could be uh, the next big blockbuster TV show to watch, but we'll keep watching on that one to see how it lands. Cool. Um, Paramount has got a few more delays for us, so they've delayed Top Gun 2 and Mission Impossible 7. Uh, just... You know, again, growing concerns over COVID and the Delta variant. So it looks like it may not be until 2022 when we get those movies. I had heard about the uh, Mission Impossible movie, but um, that's really disappointing about Top Gun too. I'm really feeling like I could do with that right now. Indeed. And then final bit of news for me, all nine seasons of Seinfeld are coming to Netflix in October. So if you are a Seinfeld fan, which both Paul and I are, you're going to be able to watch those on Netflix. They're actually available on a, a few of our streaming, streaming platforms over here in New Zealand. But look, this is a, a great time for a, a Seinfeld uh, re-emergence if you haven't seen it for a while. We've both watched it recently and it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun and still a great watch today. Brilliant. Well, I can add a couple of things in there. I'm already thinking, as my mind was working then, I was thinking, oh, could I, could I watch Seinfeld again? Could that be another palate cleanser? It's, it's one of those ones you can just always go back to, right? Um, what do I have for you, Dan? Just a couple of additions. We were talking before about Kevin Costner. The Yellowstone trailer for season four is out. I've avoided watching it because I don't want anything to spoil that incredible ending of season three. I want to come in knowing nothing. But what I do know is that it's, um, it's early November. And so I think we should clear out our schedule, Dan. We should round up the Wranglers. And I can't wait for Yellowstone season four. That's going to be a maybe another little podcast special for us. I think I'm go I'm going to rewatch. I'm going to rewatch from the start because I just love Yellowstone so much. I've talked about it before. Samara hasn't watched any of it. It's definitely going to get a rewatch before season four lands. In amongst twenty five Marvel movies, that shouldn't be a problem whatsoever. That's good. Um, 
And the only other thing I had here was I uh, discovered that Phoebe Waller-Bridge has left the um, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith series, that um, she was going to be opposite uh, Donald Glover. And I just think that's a real shame because you know, everything we've seen her in, she's always so good. And so that's a real shame to her. I don't know what the circumstances are, but uh, she is no longer staring in that. Let's go across. Let's go across to our mailbag, Dan. Um, okay, so this week's mailbag shout out is to all of our Patreon listeners who support us at patreon.com forward slash half measured podcast. And talking of support, Dan, it was pretty awesome to this week hear from the official New Zealand Podcast Awards, the Oscar equivalent for podcasts, if you will, to hear that you and I have both been nominated for an award at the 2021 Podcast Awards. Can you believe that, Dan? Who would have thought, Paul, you know, 80, 81 episodes in the bank and now we've been recognised for, you know, the the huge audience, the the giant platform that we bring, the TV guide of the internet, like, without us, what would happen? And now we've been recognised being recognized <laughs> even just saying being nominated was crazy but being saying being recognized that's hilarious i think given that we show up with very little preparation other than we've watched some tv which we would have done anyway i think that that is pretty good i can't say i've been nominated for anything before i'll have to put it on my cv or something but i do feel like there's a scene brewing in my mind where all the nominees they're, they're on a screen with all their faces and and there's you and i there and and when the winner is announced we're sitting there and we're clapping and nodding in appreciation, but actually on the inside we're seething and plotting our revenge. Am I right? I think so. And I'm like in my head, Paul, um, not that I have any expectations that that we're going to win because there's a lot of great podcasts in New Zealand. But in my head, is it is it like the Oscars? And like you and I are there in tuxedos, and they they they're saying these are the categories. They and they 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 the camera pans to us. We're kind of like not paying attention, and then like we kind of miss our moment to shine, and then. You know, by by chance, imagine, just imagine if we won. And then, you know, the awards are given by Norman Reedus or someone from The Walking Dead, and he's actually listened to some of these rants that I've been given. Like, imagine the horror. <laughs> I think the full, the full half measure would be that we'd, we'd get the wrong date or we wouldn't turn up and someone else would have to accept it or not. <laughs> yeah. That would be the full half measure. But, um, but yeah, that was, look, that's a, that has been a real highlight for the week. And um We'll see how we'll see how that goes. We'll keep you updated as we go. Um, where else was I going to go? So I checked our Twitter notifications down, and I was quite taken aback when I saw it said Dwayne Johnson liked your tweet, and I got real excited because I thought, you know, The Rock has, you know, he's appreciated your your Jungle Cruise review, which we tweeted this week. Turns out, false alarm, it was a Dwayne Johnson fan page account. But you know how it comes up with the name like I was like wow that's that's right up there with our Ricky Gervais and you know other people that we've had so uh maybe next time um what else have I got oh Vanity Fair and entertainment weekly artist Cameron Lewis he shared our review of those who wish me dead I thought that was unusual but it turns out he was also the storyboard artist for those who wish me dead so that was that was pretty cool and uh, and last week's peak performance uh, was for Sam Neill, and we had six suggestions this week. So we had we had Pops Paul from Tamaki Makoto. He went with 1977's Sleeping Dogs. 
That is a great shout to get us underway. Thank you, Paul. That is a great, great. I just love that. They're so out of left field. It's, it's a movie that not many people bring up. So I love that. Another great shout. In fact, possibly my favorite this week uh, is from Ash in Palmerston North. He went with The Dish. Um, that's a movie based on a, on a true story. It's a bit of a comedy as well, based on how the Aussies helped out uh, with the the first moon landing and put that massive satellite dish in a paddock of sheep. Great movie. Um, next, we have uh, Deb, uh, also somewhere here in New Zealand. She went with Bicentennial Man, uh, a movie that she rewatched only a couple of months ago, but she says she loves it and Sam Neill gives it such a hat. It's very true. It's a very emotional watch uh, with, with Robin Williams, that one. She also gave a shout out for your pick, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, we had Gabriel Syme. Uh, he agreed with me with Event Horizon, which I thought was nice. Uh, he he also noted uh, in his tweet that he, he watched it for the first time as a teenager, alone in the house, during a storm, and he has never recovered. And I think that is a great way to watch Event Horizon and at a relatively young age as well. So that's so good. I really love some of the stories that we're getting behind these peak performances. It's, it's really good. Um Vera Noah from Waifetu here in New Zealand, she tweeted us to say it's impossible to pick one. And honestly, I appreciate her taking the time just to even say it's impossible because I sometimes find it hard to go on this podcast on the record and and choose a peak performance, particularly when I wake up the next morning and go, oh, Sam Neill was in Hunt for an October, you know? So I get that. And what else have we got? Oh, last, but of course not least, um, originally from Rathmore County Kerry, Mr. Paddy Fox gave us his 3-2-1 of Peaky Blinders, Event Horizon, and Jurassic Park. Now, there is one listener out there who did not give us their suggestion, but a few weeks ago they said to us, you guys don't do enough Kiwi actors. And so you know what? I'll be very keen to hear your peak performance. You know who you are um, since we chose our very own Sam Neill. That's the mailbag this week, Dan. Amazing. Shall we head on over to peak performances? Indeed. So just like our movie of the week, uh, each week Dan and I take it in turns to celebrate an actor or an actress, movie director or producer, and take a look back at their career and choose what we think is their peak performance. And this week, Dan, you went with Ed Asner. Yeah. So speaking of difficult choices to make, this is... uh, a great example of an actor that's had just a a stunning and amazing career. He's been in so many great movies, so many great TV shows. He's been in video games. He's he's been in it all, and he's such a iconic character with an iconic voice. And I really struggled to to pick my. I'm pretty confident of my my peak performance, but I really struggled to pick my my runner up because mm. there's it, it literally could have been anything, um, and so I'm I'm actually going to buckle under the pressure of this, and I'm actually going to go with its role in the 2003 movie Elf, and there's not many uh, there's there's not many Christmas movies that I'm all about, but I think Elf is one of those classics. Ed's role as Santa is um, 
is fantastic. And I'm I'm sure there's going to be many people furiously kind of waving their fists at me right now for, for choosing this as, as a runner-up. But it's a movie with a bit of a, a special place in my heart. But the movie that I'm actually going to go for, his actual peak performance, is 2009's Up. And so this is where uh, Ed's character play, plays the one of the main characters, um, Carl Fredrickson, and it's just such a a wonderful animated film about a an, an old man who's um, you know lost the love of his life and kind of you know young people and bringing in a whole new sort of outlook on things. And I just think I couldn't think of a, a better voice um, to bring the character of Carl to life than um, than, than Ed. So it's. Uh, 2003's Elf and 2009's Up for me. Great choices, Dan. I'm certainly not shaking my fist at Elf. I think that is a a great shout. When I was talking uh, with some people at work about, you know, because obviously, you know, as is passing, the the Mary Tyler Moore show and Elf both got mentioned. So you're not alone, Dan, at all. Um, for me, I mean, this is a great, great choice. First and foremost, just that voice. That is what I... I always think of when I think of him and I didn't realize until I looked earlier, uh, you know, over 400 movie and TV and video games over a span of eight decades. That is a full measure. My honorable mention, Dan, like yourself, is as Carl Fredrickson in the 2009 movie Up. It is 100% one of the best voice acting performances in any movie certainly in any disney movie it is such a great story it's so sad what you were saying before there's just some great messages that come through the way he he brings that voice of carl i cannot imagine anyone else's carl he was 80 at the time he did that you know and alongside like christopher Plummer, i felt like he just really gave this movie this movie may not have worked if they'd cast that voice wrong and so you're absolutely right to have that as your as your peak performance it's an honorable mention for me because my my peak performance has to be um 1966 el dorado and that is a movie that i watched with my dad back in 1992 and i remember it so specifically because it was after i'd been really taken I, you know, after watching Unforgiven, I was like, oh, I really want some more Westerns. And so, you know, he, he did the dad thing and got some things. Out and we came out with El Dorado. And this is one where he stares opposite John Wayne and James Caan. It's classic Western. Um, Ed Asner, he, he plays this bad guy who hires some crooks to help him with a scheme. And you know, he wasn't the lead in this movie, but, you know, he was he was back in his he was in his 30s back in this movie. Um, and it's just really stuck with me he's just he's so good opposite like Robert Mitchum and it's an early role for him but I I love the movie and so it's the it's what I think of for Ed Asner and uh yeah it's 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 just such a shame he won't be returning in Cobra Kai season five because I love that character too but um great choice for peak performance yeah look and I think such a as we said at the start, such a, a huge variety of um, acting credits. And I was just thinking how great it would be as, as you sort of get later in life to be able to sort of still pick and choose some of these fun things to get involved in. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, definitely a, a great loss, but a, a full career at the same time. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Don't forget, do get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com if you've got 
any sort of thoughts, feedback on what we've talked about, suggestions, or if you want to have a, a go at picking us a, a peak performance, uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Half Measures Podcast, or of course our website, halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But a special thank you to Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. Until next week, everyone. Adios.